because I've I've been here before on a couple of different occasions. The last time was uh, what uh, three or four years ago, three or so years ago. So uh, Kathy and I are very um, grateful to be back here. And uh, Brother Steve, thank you for opening up your pulpit to me once again, giving me this opportunity to come and bring God's word to you. This anytime I have an opportunity to preach, it is a, a tremendous. Uh, it, it's a tremendous blessing. It is a tremendous opportunity, one for which I am very, very grateful. Uh, one that that honestly scares me, just because of the weight of the task. Any time a man gets up to preach God's word, that is a task that should terrify him, because of the weight of the responsibility and the one whom it is that we are representing. And so, it's one that I take very, very seriously. But uh, I also must say that this. This opportunity in particular is, um, is a special one for me because of the gentleman with whom I am speaking at this conference, uh, Kosti Hinn. And uh, God in his good providence crossed our paths almost a year ago. And I'm just so very grateful uh, that God has done the work that he has in, in Kosti's life. And uh, so he will tell you more about his Background is testimony, but uh, truly, it, it is it is only only God could uh, put this together and, and do the work that He has done in Costi's life. And so, it's a great great privilege to be able to speak with Costi, and uh, whom I count now as a dear friend and a brother in the Lord. So, I'm grateful for this opportunity. And Steve, brother, thank you. It's good to be with you again. You have. A good pastor. I'm very grateful for Steve and uh, his friendship. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Father, we are indeed grateful for this time. I thank you for these who have gathered to hear your truth. We pray that your Holy Spirit would do the work that he does in our lives as believers, would illumine the meaning of your word to our hearts, to our minds, that we would be sanctified in the truth of your word, and that it would be our guide in all that we do, everything that we believe, everything that we believe, everything that we practice at church, that it would guide our thoughts, that it would guide our speech, guide our conduct, and that we would live lives that would glorify you through our obedience to your word. So, Lord, help us to, through this conference in the next couple of days, to come to know your word better and to, in turn, know you better. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the working and the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, Steve has asked me to give you an update, an overview of my seminar entitled Clouds Without Water. And uh, for those of you who might not be familiar, Clouds Without Water is a reference in the book of Jude, verse 12. Jude refers to false teachers in a number of different ways. He says, they are hidden reefs in your love feast. They feast with you without fear, caring only for themselves. And that is one of the hallmarks of a false teacher, as a false teacher does not care about you, does not care about God. He cares only for himself or herself. And then he says that they are clouds without water. Uh, the picture is that false teachers have the appearance of having some nourishment, but nothing ever falls from them. They leave the ground below them dry and parched. And Clouds Without Water, my seminar, specifically deals with the Word of Faith movement, uh, New Apostolic Reformation. The Word of Faith movement, the health and wealth, name and acclaim it, prosperity gospel, most of what you see on Christian television 
these prosperity preachers that teach it is always God's will to be wealthy. It's always God's will to be physically healed. We should never be sick. Or if you do get sick, physical healing is guaranteed, provided that you have enough faith. And you know the names, Benny Hinn, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Jesse Duplantis, Joyce Meyer, Paula White, uh, Joseph Prince, Joel Osteen, all these individuals that you see on Christian television. And so I just want to give you, I've done this seminar here before, but it was a few years ago. So this is going to be just a, a brief overview and a little bit of updated information. Now, before we get into this, dear friends, let me say this. It is our duty and mandate from Scripture to be aware of false teachers. Paul says to Timothy that we are to teach sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. He's specifically talking about elders, but all of us as believers, we are to be able to teach sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Warning people about false teachers is a very prominent theme in the New Testament. 25 of the 27 books in the New Testament directly warn about false teachers, false prophets, wolves. And so this is our duty, this is our mandate. We must do that. But before we get into this, I want to show you a verse of Scripture, a passage that kind of should be our guiding principle as we do this. The book of Jude, short little book, of course, next to the last book in our New Testaments. Look at what Jude says to his readers. He says in verses 3 through 4, Jude says, Beloved, talking to believers, brethren, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which once for all was handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude writes to his readers, and he says that they are to earnestly contend for the faith because certain men have crept in unawares. The greatest threat to Christianity does not come from Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam. It does not come from outside of Christianity. It comes from those who profess to be inside, profess to be inside Christianity. And he says they were marked out long ago for this condemnation, ungodly men who deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is our mandate. This is what we are to do. But what I want to bring to your attention, specifically out of this passage, is the first phrase here. Beloved, I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. However, I felt the necessity, found it needful to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. Jude did not want to have to do this. Jude's first desire, his, his heartbeat, he said, Beloved, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation. I wanted to just talk about the gospel. That's what I wanted to do. But I found it necessary to write to you, to exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith. Yes, we are to warn people about false teachers. Yes, we are to do this. It is our mandate from Scripture, absolutely. But it is a task that should grieve us. 
it should grieve us that this task is necessary to do in the first place. Jude's heartbeat was the gospel. I wanted to just write to you about the gospel. And that should be our heartbeat. It should grieve us at some level that warning people about false teachers is necessary in the first place. I believe I can tell you with a crystal clear conscience before the Lord, and Costi and I have talked about this, we would love nothing more than to see Benny Hinn or all these other prosperity preachers, all these other false teachers, whoever they are, we would love nothing more than to see them repent. We would love nothing more than for a conference like this in which we are warning people about false doctrine to not be necessary. I would love nothing more than for my seminar, Clouds of That Water, to, be not, to not be necessary. And there is something wrong if, 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 there, if, there, if we take joy in doing this. I mean, we should take joy in it in that it, it, we're following the mandates from Scripture. But some people in the discernment, there is a danger with discernment and some people who are so wrapped around the gears with discernment that it almost seems like they would be disappointed if this task was not necessary. And if that is you, or if you have some friends who are in that position maybe, and, and like, it's like their life would have no meaning, they would be disappointed if there wasn't some false teacher out there that they could engage, then it's time to do a heart check. Okay, this was not Jude's attitude. So let's keep that in mind as we progress. Okay, so with that having been said... Now, let us get to the false teachers a little bit. This will be a very brief overview. In dealing with the Word of Faith movement and the Apostolic Reformation, we need to keep in mind that what you're seeing on Christian television is not Christian. Okay, what is being taught in many of our churches is not Christian. It is cultic doctrine that has been wrapped in some Christian language, wrapped in some Christianese to make it sound Christian, but it really is not. What you're seeing on TBN and Daystar and Lasea Broadcasting and the Word Network and all these others, it's not Christian, it's cultic. Cultic doctrine, uh, metaphysical cultic doctrines like uh, the New Thought movement, New Age, New Thought, Gnosticism. It's cultic doctrine that's wrapped in some Christian lingo. And one example of this is there's a lot of new thought doctrine in the Word of Faith movement. New thought essentially held that whatever you think about, you will attract to yourself. If you think positive, happy thoughts, your positive, happy thoughts will go out into the ether somewhere, and the universe will bring positive, happy things to you. Conversely, if you think negative thoughts, your negative thoughts will go out into the ether and will bring negative things to you. This is called the law of attraction also known as The Secret. Oprah Winfrey is very uh, fond of The Secret. She's been promoting this for the last 10 or 12 years. So whatever you think about, will, you will uh, attract to yourself. This is new thought. Okay, This is not Christian. This is not biblical. It's new thought. Cultic doctrine wrapped in some Christianese. Give you an example of this. Watch this from Andrew Womack. But you thought things that allow sickness to dominate you, such things as, well, I'm only human. I'm just a man. 
it's flu season. I got to get sick because it's flu season. You may not have sat there and thought, I want the flu, but you thought things that made you inferior to flu and it made you only human. You were denying and not focused on who you are in Christ, that no plague will come nigh your dwelling. And you have thought things that made you susceptible to Satan stealing your health. So if you are sick, it's because you've been thinking sick thoughts. This is not Christian. This is new thought. This is new age teaching wrapped in some Christian lingo. And at the heart of the prosperity gospel, and this is a very brief overview because I don't have time to get it all in here. But at the heart of the prosperity gospel, word of faith movement, is the teaching that you and I, if you're a Christian, you are in fact a God. The little God's doctrine. You are a little God. And because you are a God, you are entitled to money and healing. Because we're gods. And a God cannot be poor, and a God certainly cannot be sick. We are all little gods. And as little gods, we have the ability to speak things into existence just like God did. This is a tweet from Creflo Dollar from a few years ago. Creflo Dollar said this. He said, As spiritual beings who possess the nature of God, we have the ability to speak things into existence just like God did. So they absolutely teach that you and I are little gods, and we have all the abilities, all the power, all the privileges that God does. We can speak things into existence just like God did. So if you need money, you speak it into existence. If you need healing, you speak it into existence. You see, in the, in the Word of Faith movement, US, New Apostolic Reformation, faith is not placed in God. Faith is not placed in a sovereign God. Faith is a force that you direct at God to make him do whatever you want him to do. And in case you think I overstate their case, this from Jesse Duplantis, Voice of the Covenant magazine. Jesse Duplantis says, The Bible says that every man has been given the measure of faith. Have faith in your faith, not faith in God. Have faith in your faith and step over into the faith zone, whatever that is. So do they use some of the right lingo? Yes. But what they mean by these terms are very different than what the Bible means by them. Classic example of this is what they do with, met, uh, with metanoia, with repentance. Watch this video clip from Joseph Prince as he and Joel Osteen are talking about repentance. Now, this is, this is tricky, but watch this. It's very clever. Joseph Prince, very clever. This, but you're getting the same kind of response, aren't you? People... Yes need and and want you know the word repentance uh, like joel said is from the greek word metanoia which literally means change your mind and uh, every time like joel or, or me preaching the word without using the word repentance sometimes but people's minds are being changed all the time from thinking this way negatively to thinking positively so joseph prince says that the greek word for repentance is the word metanoia and you know what He's right. That is the Greek word for repentance. And then he says the, the word metanoia means to change your mind. Guess what? Right again. That is what metanoia means. But then did you notice how he fleshed it out? He said, we may not use the word repentance. I mean, heaven forbid we actually use biblical terminology in our preaching. Wouldn't want to do that. So we may not use the word repentance, but we still teach people to repent when they go from thinking negatively to thinking positively. 
That's not repentance. According to his definition of repentance, we could all repent simply by joining the optimist club. You know, just having a sunnier outlook on life. Everything's just sunshine and lollipops and unicorns all the time. That's not repentance. Repentance does mean a change in mind. But genuine repentance, number one, dear friends, comes when God grants repentance. God grants repentance, and when he grants repentance, yes, our minds are changed, but everything about us is changed. Our affections are changed. We begin to love the things that God loves. We hate the things that God hates. And when God grants repentance, we will bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The Apostle Paul says, So, King Agrippa, I kept declaring that all men everywhere should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. This does not mean we perform deeds in order to repent. That would be a work salvation. But when God does grant repentance, there will be deeds. There will be fruit in keeping with repentance. John the Baptist, therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So yes, dear friends, the word metanoia in and of itself does mean a change in mind. But here's a good little hermeneutical rule of thumb to keep in mind. Hermeneutics is how we interpret, study and interpret God's word. I am a big proponent for word studies. It is very good to look at a word in the New Testament and uh, whether it's metanoia or righteousness or justification, you look at that word, you break it down and see what that word means. Study that word, a word study. That's very good. That's very helpful. But that's not always the final determining factor of what a word means. It is the Holy Spirit of God who places the words in the text. And it is the context that determines the meaning of the word because the Holy Spirit places them there. And he is the one who determines the full meaning of a word. The Holy Spirit of God, not just the lexicon and not just the dictionary. Look and see how a word is used in its context. And biblical repentance always results in fruit in deeds, in keeping with repentance. It's not just an intellectual change in mind. It includes intellectual change, but it's much more than that. The Holy Spirit of God determines the meaning. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that the Word of Faith, New Apostolic Reformation movement, they are not just wrong on health and wealth. Health and wealth, what you see from this movement, is just some of the bad, low-hanging fruit off of a rotten theological tree, a tree that is rotten at its core. They, are, they have a different God. They have a different Jesus. They have a different gospel. Now, I don't have time to delve into this fully, but they have a different Christ. The word faith, New Apostolic Reformation, Jesus, small j, Jesus, is essentially an Arianistic view of Christ. Arianism was a heresy in the early church that basically held that Jesus did not come as God. Jesus was just a man, a man who had a very close walk with God, but was not actually God in human flesh. And the Jesus that you see being preached on Christian television and in many of these churches that that teach word faith in AR theology is an Arianistic view of Christ. Give you one example of this. This is from Bill Johnson pastor of, and I I should say, quote-unquote, pastor of, quote-unquote, Bethel Church. I say, quote-unquote, because he's not a real pastor and it's not a real church. Okay, but Bill Johnson, Bethel Church, Redding, California. 
he says this, Jesus was so empty of divine capacity. That phrase right there should just jar you. Eternally God, but he chose to live with the restrictions as a man. Why? To set a model. To set something to follow, an example of his lifestyle. If he did all of his miracles as God, I'm still impressed, but I'm not compelled to follow. Now, pause right there. Look at what he says. If Jesus did all of his miracles as God, I'm impressed, but I'm not compelled to follow. What do you mean you're not compelled to follow? I mean, think about what he's saying there. Because Christ, if Christ did his miracles as, as God, he's not compelled. He's not compelled to follow the example of Jesus. He set aside divinity. No, he did not. No, he did not. He set aside divinity and chose to display what life would be like for anyone with no sin. He models for us the normal Christian life. Jesus is the most normal Christian in the Bible. That is heresy. That's heresy. That is a different Jesus. That is a different Jesus. And a different Jesus does not save. Word faith, NAR, teaches that Jesus was a man with the anointing. And he did all of his miracles simply as a man with the anointing. Guess what? Guess what they teach you and I are? Oh, we're men and women with the anointing. And so we can do everything that Jesus did, all the rights, all the privileges. Not only do they teach that Jesus was just a man with the anointing, this is a hyper, uh, hyper uh, take on kenosis, Jesus emptying himself, which Jesus did. We know that from Philippians chapter 2. Jesus did empty himself. In fact, let me just bring that up here. Philippians 2, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men. Now, this does say that Jesus emptied himself, but of what did he empty himself? Word of faith in AR teaches that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. No, no, a thousand times no. And they say, oh, well, he emptied himself of some of his divine attributes. No, again. Dear friends, if you take away one of God's attributes, one of his many attributes or his perfections, you take away one of those attributes, do you still have God? No. No, you don't. So what did Jesus empty himself of? He emptied himself not of his deity, nor did he empty himself of any of his divine attributes, but he did empty himself on occasion. He emptied himself of his divine prerogative to exercise some of those attributes. It does not mean he didn't have them. He just chose on occasion not to exercise them. And some say, oh, well, Jesus, when he was on earth, he did not know all things. He was not omniscient while he was on earth. Really? Be very careful with that. John's gospel, the disciples speaking to Jesus, they said to Jesus, now we know that you know all things. Now, if Jesus did not know all things, if he was not omniscient while he was on earth... What a great opportunity for Jesus to do what? To correct their theology. What a great opportunity. The ball sitting on the tee, waiting to be knocked out of the park. What a great opportunity for Jesus to say, now, now wait a minute, guys. Hold on. Let's not get carried away. I can understand how you would think that I know all things. I understand how you get that idea, but I really don't. I used to before I came to this earth, and one day I will again. 
But right now, right now I don't. Great opportunity for him to correct their theology. Is that what he did? No. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Do you now believe? He did not correct them. He affirmed them. Do you now believe? Jesus did know all things. Now watch this video clip. And again, this is so very, very uh, cursory, very brief. I wish I had more time to delve into this. But watch this video from a man named Seth Dahl. He's also at Bethel Church. Uh, relative, I mean, he's not one of the big movers and shakers, but, but he's on staff there at Bethel Church. Watch this video clip. Now, this should jar you, and I think that it will. Notice, though, as you watch this clip, you're going to see Bethel Church's logo come up on the, on, the, on the bottom. This is not something that accidentally got through. This is not something that they meant to edit out and they just forgot about it. It's like, oops, you know, it kind of got out there and we wish it wasn't there. They have their logo on here, and they're proud of this. They're promoting this. Watch. say some things that hurt me really bad hurt me so bad messed me up emotionally mentally really messed me up nothing physical nothing like that a a, a pastor I, I really respected said some words and hurt me so bad and one time I was laying on the floor actually it was in this room I'm laying on the floor and in an, in a vision in an encounter with God in a vision Jesus picks me up and holds me so close that I can't see anything and he holds me so close and Jesus starts to weep and he says please forgive me please forgive me I said what are you talking about please forgive you he said when that pastor hurt you it's as if I hurt you because he's a member of my body. Please forgive me. That is shocking. Please forgive me. The sinless son of God, the lamb without blemish, the alpha and omega saying, please forgive me. You have gutted the gospel. Dear friends, that is a different Jesus. I don't know what Jesus appeared to him. He, either, he is either making this up out of his own vain imagination or he had some weird experience and something appeared to him, some Jesus, but it was not the Jesus of the Bible. It was not the Jesus of the Bible. That is a different Jesus. Dear friends, hear me. It is not enough to just believe in Jesus. That might sound like heresy in and of itself. Hear me. It's not enough to just believe in Jesus. Mormons believe in Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in Jesus. Hey, Muslims believe in Jesus. But they do not believe in the right Jesus. They have a different Jesus. They do not believe in the Jesus of the Bible. And the Jesus that is coming out of these false churches is just as much a different Jesus as is the Jesus of Mormonism or the Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses or the Jesus of Islam or Hinduism for that matter. You may as well be a Muslim 
as be word of faith or new apostolic reformation. It's a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. Watch this from Todd White. Todd White is uh, a member at Gateway Church. You might have seen Robert Morris, pastor of Gateway Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Todd White is a guy, he, he wears dreadlocks, and he goes around, um, goes, goes out in the, he calls himself, has, his ministry is called Lifestyle Christianity. I have a picture of the house he lives in. Quite a cushy lifestyle. But uh, he goes around claiming to heal people. But watch what he says here. There, there are, it's, this video, this short video clip is going to be like, let's count the heresies in this one short. Watch this from Todd White. It's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So it's the Trinity. It's, it's all three parts. Jesus, you know, he walked and lived as, as a man. And he didn't, he didn't live as God on the earth. The reality of this thing is that Jesus Christ, he pays a price for us to be made right with God. Jesus goes to hell, I believe. He went to Hades, he went down and descended into the depths of the earth for three days and he pays for the sin of mankind. But on the third day, on the third day, he got the keys to both hell, death and the grave, got those keys, came up out of there, was resurrected that day. And all of a sudden, everything was about to shift. Okay, let's break this down. For one thing, the Godhead is not comprised of parts. He says it's all three parts. Okay, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are not 33.33% of God. Okay, the Godhead is not comprised of parts. He has got a very wacky, distorted view of the Trinity. That's not that's not Trinitarian theology. God is one God, one being in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each member of the Trinity, God, very God. Also, he says, Jesus did not live on earth as God. He said, Jesus just lived on earth as a man. It's Arianism. That's some kind of weird adoptionistic type heresy. But again, this is a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus most certainly did live on earth as God. Before Abraham was, I am. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus forgave sins, something that only God can do. So he most certainly did live on earth as God. One person, okay, Jesus, one person, two natures. One person... 100% man, 100% God, with no mixture of those two. Jesus was not a yellow and blue make green. And some people have this view that Jesus was part God, part man. It kind of came together and made Jesus. It's not a yellow and blue make green kind of thing. One person, two natures. So he's got a different trinity. He's got a different Christ. And also, did you notice he said that Jesus... Paid for our sins in hell. It says he went to hell, paid for our sins in hell. Heresy. Jesus did not atone for sins in hell. He atoned for our sins on the cross. 
something that you'll notice about every cult is every cult disparages the cross of Jesus Christ, that it somehow just was not enough to atone for sins. This is what is known as the spiritual death of Jesus doctrine. The word faith, N-A-R, do not believe that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. They believe that when he died on the cross, the work of the atonement had just begun. Then he went to hell, was tortured by demons, died a spiritual death, ceased to be God. And if Jesus died a spiritual death, that by definition means that he ceased to be God because God is what? Spirit. Must be worshipped in spirit and truth. And if there was ever a time when Jesus was not God, then he never was God to begin with because God cannot cease to be God. Not that he will not cease to be God. He cannot cease to be God. And they teach that Jesus actually had to be reborn. Jesus had to be born again. They teach that Jesus was the first born-again man. The very notion that even those words could cross the lips of a genuine Christian is foreign to me. How can you be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and actually teach that Jesus had to be born again? But they teach this. Bill Johnson teaches this, that Jesus was born again. That is heresy. Do you know one of the great ironies in all of this, dear friends? One of the great ironies in this is that people in the word faith, New Apostolic Reformation, they would look at someone like me or someone like Costi or, or Steve here. They would look at, at us who are cessationists, who do not believe that the apostolic gifts continue today, the sign gifts continue of tongues and interpretation of tongues, physical healing. Those gifts passed away with the dying of the apostles, the closing of the canon of Scripture. They would look at us and say, oh, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. You don't believe in His power. You don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. On contraire, I am so confident in the person and the power of his indwelling spirit, of the Holy Spirit of God, that I do not believe that someone can be indwelt by him, indwelt by the third person of the triune Godhead and teach these kinds of blasphemies, teach these kinds of heresies. If these people were truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, the very first time they uttered one of these blasphemies, and, and I, I've not even scratched the surface with this stuff. The very first time they uttered one of these blasphemies, the Holy Spirit of God would bring them to their knees. They would be under such conviction. And yet they continue to teach these heresies for year after year after year, some of them for decades, with reckless abandon, not a hint of any conviction, not a hint of any repentance. And yet they continue to do it. That is not someone who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God loves us too much and he loves Christ too much to leave one of his own in that kind of deception. And so that is one of the great ironies. That it is actually they who have a very low view, very diminished view, very small view of the Holy Spirit. Moving on, turn a little bit of a corner here. 
I want to give you a little quiz. Now, if you've seen my presentation at the Strange Fire Conference, don't uh, blurt out the answer here. But I'm going to give you a list of behaviors. Which group do you automatically think of when you see these behaviors listed? Which theological group does the following? Erratic jerking and shaking. Have uncontrollable laughter. They get slain in the spirit. The man will come up and touch them on the forehead or wave at them. They fall over backwards. You get slain in the spirit. They prophesy. They claim physical healings. And they speak in tongues. Which group do you automatically think of when you see these behaviors? Pentecostal, charismatic, right? Hindus. Hindus. Does that surprise you? There's a subset within Hinduism known as Kundalini. And people in Hindu kundalini exhibit the exact same behaviors as what we see in the Word of Faith charismatic movement. Exact same behaviors. You can take video clips of people in Hindu kundalini. You can put them side by side video clips of people in the charismatic movement. And you literally cannot tell the difference. They are absolutely indistinguishable. They look exactly alike. They speak in tongues in exactly the same way. That charismatics do. So what does that tell us? That tells us that just because someone is exhibiting one or more of these behaviors is not necessarily an indication that that ability is coming from God. Hindus do it too. Pagans do it too. And they do it just as convincingly as anybody in the charismatic movement. Just as convincingly. Dear friends, I do not doubt that some of these people are having experiences. I don't doubt that a bit. I'm sure they are. What I do doubt, what I do question, is the source of those experiences. Mormons have experiences. Hindus have experiences. Muslims have experiences. In fact, this is just a little aside, fascinating study. Study the parallels of the accounts of Joseph Smith and Muhammad. They are eerily similar. Eerily similar. It's my own working theory. There's no way to prove or disprove this. It's my own working theory. It was the same demon that appeared to both Joseph Smith and Muhammad. Just an educated guess. No matter how real an experience may seem to us, if that experience does not plumb with God's word, then it's illegitimate. We must jettison it. We cannot interpret the Bible, dear friends, by what we experience. We must interpret our experiences by the Bible. I'm not against experiences. I'm not against someone being overwhelmed by the beauty and the majesty and the sovereignty and the holiness of God. Not against those things, not at all. In fact, I'd be, I'd be a little afraid of the one who claims to know Christ but has never been overwhelmed by his beauty and majesty and glory. But if your experience does not plumb with God's word, then you've got to jettison it. You've got to reject it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Do not exceed what is written. Do not exceed biblical parameters. When we exceed biblical parameters, we are exposing ourselves to the very demonic influence and demonic suggestion that we claim to, be able to, to want to avoid. Watch this. This is Todd White. One of his uh, most well-known, I'll say, tricks 
is lengthening people's legs. You can see this on YouTube. Search it on YouTube. There's all kinds of videos up there. Todd White goes around just to people at random, and he has them sit down in a chair, and he has them put their feet out, and he gets one foot in each hand, and he'll show you that one leg is apparently just about that much shorter than the other one. There's apparently an epidemic in the United States of people walking around with one leg slightly shorter than the other, and he commands that leg to grow, and they actually show it on video, and it seems like the leg grows. Watch. Okay, let me see your feet. That's like two inches. That's way short. Jesus' name. Left leg, I command you grow right now. Jesus' name. <laughs> Did you feel? Yeah. It's good? Yeah. Yeah, come on. Jesus is amazing. He loves you so much. The only thing that's amazing is people's gullibility. The old leg lengthening trick. Faith healers have been doing this for decades. It's a trick. It's sleight of hand. There's a documentary out there entitled Miracles for Sale, produced by a man named Darren Brown, D-E-R-R-E-N. You can watch it on YouTube. Darren Brown, Miracles for Sale. He's not a Christian. In fact, he professes to be an atheist. I say he professes to be because there is no such thing as an atheist. We know that biblically. But he professes to be one. And he took another guy who professes to be an atheist, a guy off the street, not a Christian at all, and he trained him, spent about six weeks with this guy, training him in the evangelical lingo in faith healer tactics. He was doing a documentary. And he wanted to see if he could take someone off the streets, not a Christian, and train that guy to do the exact same thing and get the exact same results that famous faith healers get. And guess what? He did it. He took this guy, and after a few weeks of training, this guy goes up to people randomly on the streets of Dallas, Texas, randomly. And he lays hands on them, and he lengthens their legs, and he gets the exact same results that quote-unquote faith healers get. It's a trick. If Todd White could command a leg to grow that much, why couldn't he just command an amputee to grow a new limb? He doesn't do that. But if he can command a leg to grow, and he goes up to people and he commands cancer cells to die, he commands people's bodies to get back in alignment. If he could do that, then why doesn't he... His next destination should be St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And I have offered, Todd, I will pay your expenses to go to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and you command those cancer cells in those children to die and you heal those sick kids of their cancer. You do that. Forget about lengthening people's legs by half an inch. It's a trick. Children are dying. Tick tock. Go to St. Jude. He won't do that. You'll never catch a faith healer anywhere near a hospital unless they happen to be a patient, which happens more than they would like you to think. Now, a very important question in dealing with this entire movement, are there apostles today? And for our purposes here, we, and when we refer to apostles, we are referring to the office of being an apostle, an apostle of Christ. 
are there modern-day apostles? Well, in order to be an apostle of Christ, a man had to meet three requirements. Number one, he had to be a first-person eyewitness of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he had to see Jesus risen from the dead bodily with his own two eyes. First-person eyewitness of Jesus. None of those guys are around anymore. Long gone. Number two, you had to be directly appointed by Christ to be an apostle. Okay, you didn't run a campaign. You didn't just wake up one morning, decide you're going to be an apostle, and you go down to the local print shop in Jerusalem and have some campaign signs printed up, vote for me, your next apostle. You had to be directly appointed by Christ to be an apostle. And number three, you had to have the ability to perform the signs and wonders of an apostle. You had to be able to heal the sick and even on occasion raise the dead. And dear friends, there to be an apostle of Christ, you had to meet all three requirements. And there is not a person alive on the face of the planet anywhere today who meets even one of these requirements, much less all three. There are no more apostles today. There are no more apostles today. If all of the apostolic gifts are still in operation, then that means the gift of healing is in operation today. If the gift of healing, of, uh, if the gift of healing is in operation today, my question is, where is it? If you have the gift of teaching, you're to be using that gift regularly in the church, right? If you have the gift of mercy, you're to be using that gift regularly in the church. If you have the gift of administration or the gift of hospitality or the gift of giving, you're to be using these gifts regularly in the church for the building up of the body, right? Where's a person with a gift of healing? Where's that guy? Where is the one who can go up to a sick person at will and with 100% results instantly, verifiably heal a sick person? And I'm not talking about some psychosomatic healing. I'm not talking about somebody saying, oh, yeah, well, that, that bursitis in my right shoulder, it feels a little bit better. I do believe my shoulder's a little looser. I'm talking about a real healing, an amputee growing a new limb. Something dramatic, something that cannot be explained, just psychosomatic mind over body. Where's that guy? You go into any genuine Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church today, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find people with the gift of teaching. You're going to find people with the gift of mercy. You're going to find people with the gift of administration, the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving, the gift of hospitality. You're going to find those gifts. Where's the person with the gift of healing? Where is he? Nobody on the planet, nobody on the planet has that gift. Does God still heal people today? Yes. But only when it is his sovereign will to do so. And let's be honest, it's not a common thing. Not a common thing at all. But can he do it? Yes. Does he? Yes. When it's his sovereign will to do so. Does anybody today have that gift? Absolutely not. Two totally different things. When God heals someone, he just does it because it's his sovereign will to do it. But that's completely different than saying someone has the gift of healing. Apples and oranges. Interesting. A couple of verses here. Acts chapter 2, verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place amongst all the believers everywhere. No, it says taking place through the apostles. At the hands of 
all the believers everywhere. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. I don't care who it is of whom we are speaking. I don't care if it's Benny Hinn. I don't care if it's Todd White. I don't care if it's Reinhard Bonnke. I don't care any, any of them. Nobody today has any of the apostolic gifts. There are no more apostles today, period. All these people running around today calling themselves apostle this and apostle that. No, you're not. There were 12 apostles so thank you very much for applying, but the quota has already been filled. No more apostles today. But they claim signs and wonders. Here's one example, another clip here from Bill Johnson. Bethel Church, watch this. And uh, it would be about 15 or maybe 14 years ago, somewhere in that area, 14 years ago probably, the feathers started just appearing and falling in meetings. And then they started falling in our homes and in restaurants and Things like that, just unusual things. So, you know, there are signs that make you wonder. There are, there, people say, where's that in the Bible? Well, he said he'd cover you with his feathers. So Bill Johnson makes this claim that, that feathers just fall out of the sky in their services. And, and well, where's that in the Bible? Well, God covers you with his feathers. Dear friends, that is obviously symbolic language. Okay, God does not literally have feathers. He's not some cosmic chicken up in the sky. Okay, that's obviously symbolic language. Just like when Jesus said, I am the door. Doesn't mean he's a piece of wood with hinges. Watch this. Bill Johnson claims that gold dust appeared in an airplane somewhere and had rather dramatic results. I have an acquaintance with the Lord now, but... Sitting on a plane, gold started manifesting. Literally, just started falling. People could see it falling on him. And the stewardess came over, stunned. She ended up getting saved. People all around him started getting saved because just he's just sitting there. And the Lord would appear upon him, and people would see it, and they would get saved. Just this gold would start manifesting, start falling. So supposedly on some airplane somewhere, gold just appeared and started falling on the passengers, and the stewardess saw it, and she got saved. Am I missing something here? Like the gospel? She got saved by seeing gold dust? Really? Where's the gospel? Where is Christ? Where is the crucifixion? Where is the resurrection? Where is repentance and faith? Do they have gold dust? They do. Let me show it to you. Here it is. They call, they call it the glory cloud. This is the Shekinah glory of God that appears in their services. Watch. Here it is. About one year ago, I was at a church in Miami, Florida, preaching, and there was a lady who came to the meetings, and she came up to me, and she told me her name. Long story short, she used to be a member of 
El Rey Jesus, King Jesus Church in Miami, pastored by Guillermo Maldonado. You may have heard of Guillermo Maldonado. Well, uh, he's another one of these word, faith, NAR kind of guys. And they also claim to have this, this gold dust that appears in their services. And you know what she came up and told me? She said when she was in this church, she got saved. And as you would expect from a Christian, when she got saved, she left it. You don't stay in this deception as a Christian. She got saved and she left it. But she came up and she told me, she said, Justin, when I was a member of this church, it was my responsibility. She and a friend of hers were tasked to go up into the ventilation system and dump in gold dust. Not real gold, but a, a kind of a, like a finely ground stationary glitter type stuff, gold. They would dump it into the ventilation system and it would blow it out on the congregation. Oh, it's the glory of God. No, it was glitter. I actually went to El Rey Jesus and confronted a couple of their staff members. Watch this from Jen Johnson. Jen Johnson is the... Brother, do you know she's the daughter-in-law, Jen? Daughter-in-law, that's what I thought. Daughter-in-law of Bill Johnson. Watch what she has to say about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit to me is like the genie from Aladdin. I view the Holy Spirit like the genie from Aladdin. And he's blue. Unplanned. Perfect. And he's funny. And he's sneaky. And he's courageous and he's everywhere. And he's wonderful. That's who he is to me. And he's funny. He's sneaky. Enough. Sorry. Um, truncated that just for a little bit for time's sake. She says the Holy Spirit to her is like the genie from Aladdin. Again, it is these people who have a very low view of the Holy Spirit. That's blasphemy. The Holy Spirit is like the genie. If you think the Holy Spirit is like the genie from Aladdin, then you do not know the Holy Spirit of God. You are not indwelt by Him. But see, that is their view of God. That is what God is to them. He is like the, he's the genie from Aladdin. And you rub Him with your faith, and you get, it, you get this genie to do whatever you want Him to do. Spiritual warfare. Um, my computer just told me my battery's low, but it's plugged in. I, if we lose my laptop, we might. Briefly, I want to say something about spiritual warfare. Watch this video clip from Creflo Dollar. I, I don't know all the stuff that's going on in your life, but I know a God who has given us the power, and if we will release our authority in faith, we can see things change today. It don't take another two or three months. It takes you getting mad at the devil, mad at the circumstance, mad at the sickness, mad at the lack, and say, I will not take this no more. You don't say, no, dear Mr. Devil. You go and you say, devil, in the name of Jesus, I done put up with you the last 10 years. Now, my Bible tells me 
that life is not supposed to be like that. And according to this scripture, and according to that scripture, and over here in this book, and over here in that book, this is how my life is supposed to be. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, I take my authority that I already have, and I command this to be in my life, and I rebuke you, I find you, I, 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 I arrest you, I lock you up, I put you in chains, you get out of my life. This is something that you'll notice about all these individuals. They believe that they have this, this power, this authority to go and bind Satan, rebuke Satan. I want to read to you a brief passage out of the book of Jude. Thank you, brother. You want to check the, our juice here? Uh, Jude says this in verse 8, Yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Verse 9, But Michael the archangel, when he disputed, there we go, thank you, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce a railing accusation, judgment against him, but said, Rather, the Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals. These things, they are destroyed. By these things, they are destroyed. Think about that, dear friends. Michael the archangel and Satan had this dispute over the body of Moses. Curious text. But think about this. Michael the archangel said, did not dare pronounce a railing judgment, accusation against Satan. If Michael the archangel did not dare pronounce a railing accusation against Satan, probably a pretty good idea you and I not try to do it. Rather, what did Michael the archangel say? The Lord rebuke you. I'm amazed by how many of these people go around talking to Satan. There is never, you should never have any occasion in which you should find it necessary to talk to Satan. Ever. Don't ever talk to Satan. That, is, that can only be done by someone who does not understand what they are doing. And according to Jude, someone who goes around reviling angelic majesties, railing accusations against Satan, that's a mark of a false teacher. It's a mark of a false teacher. You and I do not have the authority to go around binding Satan. You ever wondered all these people going around saying, I bind you, Satan? You ever wondered about all these people going around binding Satan? Somebody sure keeps letting him back out. <laughs> Who's that guy? Who's the fellow who keeps letting him out? Maybe you ought to bind him first. <laughs> then go bind Satan. And my Bible says that Satan prowls about, right? Prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't sound very bound to me. One day he'll be bound, but he's not now. Hearing from heaven. And we need to, I know we need to wrap this up. Hearing from heaven, real quickly. Two different terms. We need to understand these terms. Revelation refers to God revealing new information that has previously been hidden. New information that is not already recorded in Scripture. Illumination refers to the enabling work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers to understand and appropriate the truths of Scripture. In other words, illumination is when the Holy Spirit of God helps us to understand this book. He illumines the meaning of this book to our hearts and to our minds. 
and He enables us to obey God's Word. Illumination. Big difference between revelation and illumination. You hear all these people say, oh, well, I got revelation on this. Well, no, you didn't. What may have happened is you, got, you may have gotten illumination if you're truly saved, but you didn't get revelation. Revelation is not happening anymore. There is no more revelation being given out. No more revelation. Illumination should be happening today. The Holy Spirit of God illumining the meaning of what is already written in God's Word. Big difference between revelation and illumination. Now, uh-oh, Jesus calling Sarah Young. This is the hottest-selling devotional book on the market today, light years ahead of anything else. Sarah Young, these are direct quotes out of her book, out of the introduction of her book, word for word. She says, During the same year, 92, I began reading God Calling, a devotional book by two anonymous listeners. These women practice waiting quietly in God's presence, pencils and papers in hand, recording the messages they receive from Him. There's these two anonymous women, anonymous uh, female mystics, who wrote this book entitled God Calling, and they claimed to tune in to just the right frequency. And when they did that, God started speaking to them, and they wrote down what He was saying. This was the inspiration for Jesus Calling. Sarah Young says, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. You see, the Bible just was not enough for Sarah Young. She yearned for more. The Bible wasn't enough. I have a real problem with that. When I hear someone say, well, the Bible's not enough. Yeah, it tells us how to be saved, but it doesn't tell us really how to know God's will for our lives. It's not enough. The Bible's not enough. Here's the question I have for anybody who would say the Bible is not enough. Have you exhaustively plumbed everything there is to plumb in this book? Do you know the full meaning from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22? There is nothing. You know it all. You have, you have fully plumbed the depths. There is no, no more truth that you can squeeze out of this, not, not another single drop of wisdom or truth or knowledge that you can squeeze out of this book. You know it backwards and forwards. You, know, you understand it completely. If the answer to that question is no, then please do not tell me the Bible is not enough. If you don't, under, if you don't even fully understand what you have written, please don't tell me the Bible is not enough. But it wasn't enough for Sarah Young. I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed he was saying. Houston, we have a problem. She claims that Jesus started calling her, and she wrote down what he was saying. If that is what is happening, if she was writing down, with pen in hand, writing down what Jesus was saying, you know what Sarah Young's doing? She's writing Scripture. That's what she's doing. And, dear friends, it is the same concept when people say, God spoke to me. God spoke to me and he said, da-da-da-da-da. Did he? Well, you know what? If he did, then whatever he said to you, we need to add to this book. Because whatever he said should be just as authoritative as any verse in this book. God cannot speak less authoritatively on one occasion than he does on another. If God is speaking, God is speaking. And whatever he says, we should add to this book. There's just one problem with that. This book says, do not add to this book. 
Does God guide us? Yes, he does. He illumines the meaning of his word to our hearts, to our minds. The Holy Spirit of God does this. He enables us to obey God's word, and he directs our paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, he directs our paths. How does he do it? Don't have a clue. Just know he does. He spoke the universe into existence, dear friends. I think he can direct our paths. If you want to hear God speak to you, there is one way. I guarantee you, you will hear him speak. Read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read it out loud. 100% guaranteed you will hear him speak. The battle today is being fought truly over the sufficiency of this book. Is it sufficient? And the answer from this book is, yes, it is. God's word is sufficient. Close in a word of prayer. Father, it can be discouraging as we see the preponderance of false teachers and false doctrine that is uh, spreads like gangrene and uh, shipwrecks the faith of so many. But, Father, we are also encouraged by your word that it is indeed sufficient for us, that you have preserved your word for us. It is everything that we need, fully inspired, fully authoritative, so that we will be thoroughly equipped unto every good work to live a life that is pleasing to you. So, Lord, may we be sanctified in the truth of your word, equipped, ready to speak your truth in love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.